Uh, welcome. I'm here to introduce uh, Eric Everson to you. He is a uh, works for Christ in Youth. He's been with them for 14 years. He told me that uh, he just graduated and moved right into to working for them. Uh, hopefully you are here for the class that is called Discipleship Rabbit and the Four Secrets to Transformative Small Groups, which is a fantastic title. And um, I'm sure a lot of you came just to find out what a discipleship rabbit is. Um, so we're, we're glad to have uh, him here. He serves as the VP of Story for Christ in Youth. And um, I'm going to say a prayer, and then he's going to jump in. And, and thanks for being here. God, we are uh, thankful for your kingdom. We're thankful for the grace and the love that you give us. We're thankful for Eric and the gifts that he has used for 14 years for Christ in Youth. And God, I know that his work um, has touched the lives of thousands of teenagers who um, call you Father, who uh, follow <coughs> your Son, who are uh, in the Spirit and being transformed by the Spirit. And so thank you for his ministry. Uh, thank you for his willingness to come and share with us today. It's in Christ's name and through the Spirit we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're enjoying your, your time here. I've been on the ground for a couple of days and just really can't uh, tell you how enough and how grateful I am to be part of this really wonderful event on this obviously beautiful campus with some really great people. I, I've been encouraged and you know, hope you have been as well. Uh, my name is Eric. I do work in a place called Christ in Youth. Uh, CIY is based at a place here domestically called uh, in Joplin, Missouri. We actually have a, a European office in Ireland as well, and we'll do our first events in Canada uh, this summer. So we're kind of rapidly becoming a global organization, which has been a really fun process for us to try to figure out what it looks like to, to serve students, to serve youth ministers and churches uh, around the world. But the CLI, uh, we exist to do really one thing, and that's to call students to kingdom work. Uh, we believe that every, every Christian who's a follower of Jesus is gifted with talents, gifts, and abilities, and they're asked to use those uh, and leverage those for the sake of their kingdom, uh, for the kingdom. Uh, sometimes professionally as a youth pastor or a pastor like most of us are in the room, but also a lot of times as a nurse and school teacher, uh, construction worker, and everything in between. And uh, we love helping students to kind of find out what those gifts are uh, and, and really kind of commission them to go out to, and to serve. Uh, we do conferences, trips, uh, and events. I'd love to talk to you about those, obviously, if, if you are interested. Uh, but, but for the majority of, of my 14 years at CIY, I've been, I've been a content producer. Uh, I have created uh, conferences and created big stage uh, elements and written scripts and produced films and you know, really kind of been be behind what happens uh, on a stage during one of, one of our tours or one of our events. I really actually really do love uh, production and programming as, as I'm sure some of, uh, some of you in the room do as well. I think it's actually pretty important. Uh, to be able to create a moment, create an experience uh, that can transform uh, a student's way that they think or the way they perceive the world, to give them kind of one of those uh, flag in the sand moments that they go, man, that moment I made a decision in my life pivoted uh, because of what a speaker said or because of what happened in a film and, and those types of things. Um, we, do, we do big productions. And I, I can't tell you that, that he, I can't tell you enough that how a shift started to happen in my life, oh, probably. Uh, three or four years into this experience, uh, when I would follow, you know, follow up with youth pastors after an event, uh, get on their uh, their social media, you know, platforms, where I would see, uh, you know, their their Facebook pages, and I would go to the photo albums from the event, 
and, and I would kind of begin scrolling through, actually, honestly, quite selfishly at times, looking for uh, snapshots of things that I made, right? Things that happened on our stage. We said hundreds of dollars into producing a thing that would be on the screen or a thing that would, uh, that it would unveil on the stage. So I was looking for just that great, perfect Instagramable moment where they stick the phone out and snap a picture of the thing. However, I was often quite disappointed because I, I often didn't actually, as I looked through their, you know, their digital photo albums, find anything that happened in the big room. Most of the time what I found was pictures in a dorm room or pictures outside at a, a picnic table. I saw groups playing uh, Kill Ball, which is a really demented uh, youth group game where you get a group of people and you sit people in the middle and you spike a volleyball at them. That's kind of the, the essence of the game. I'll give you the rules later if you'd like to connect about that. It's actually really fun. I, I was seeing small group conversations and I, I would see kids building pyramids and I would see a lot of inside jokes that I didn't understand because, well, they happened in outside of, of the big room. And then secondly, um, I thought back on my own life. And I thought back to the, to the messages that I have heard, specifically the messages I heard in high school. And I think it's a little bit like eating. It's a little <coughs> bit like meals. Like, I know I've listened to some really good sermons before. I know I have been a part of some really good worship experiences. Um, I'm sure. In fact, I know there was. There was a sermon uh, that I listened to at camp my sophomore year of high school that I listened to it. And then from that moment, I decided uh, to, be, to go into full-time ministry. However, I can't tell you a single thing that person said. I, I can tell you where I was. I can tell you what it smelled like. I can tell you what it felt like. But I can't tell you what the content actually was. I couldn't give you the three points in the poem at the end. And so I began to think about, okay, what does this actually mean for how we produce content in our youth ministries? What does this actually mean for uh, how we minister to students? And I think, I think I've really kind of come to surrender to the idea um, that we can impress on a stage, uh, but we invest in a small group. And, and we can... Um, call a student to a decision uh, on, on a stage or on a screen. But I'm convinced more and more that discipleship actually takes place in conversations. And so I, that doesn't mean we just we throw programming out the window. It doesn't mean that we throw production out the window. I, I think they actually really do serve a really important part in the process. But looking at actually what transforms lives, I think that is done over time through face-to-face -face conversations with young people, with mentors. So much so that I really am starting to believe that conversations are the foundation uh, of discipleship. That's mm -hmm. pretty convincing <coughs> for me because, to be honest with you, I'm not a great small group leader. I, I feel like I have a few, a few skills that can be helpful in a ministry context. I think I lead people well. I think I can tell a good story. But to be honest, it was a couple of years ago, I remember that I walked into uh, my own church where I attend. I don't work at a church, I work at a prayer church organization, which means that I get to kind of serve in different capacities in my church uh, that I didn't expect that I would. And one of those ways was as a small group leader of sophomore boys. And every Wednesday night uh, after youth group, uh, we'd meet in one of the classrooms there, and we had to break down the lesson that we just heard in 15 minutes or so. 
And, and every week, my, the youth minister that, that I served under would hand me a little slip of paper with five questions on it, and these would be our small group questions. I can tell you that over the course of months of, of doing this, semesters of doing this, we have answered probably three of those questions. <laughs> Not each night. Three total because I sit down and I just they're, they're, they are not interested at all in, in wanting to actually work through uh, through those numbers, <laughs> and I think it's because I'm actually a pretty bad small group leader. <laughs> uh, and so what I want to do this this uh, this afternoon is show you some of the fruit uh, that has come out of uh, my understanding and realization that I am a, a bad small group leader, and then actually kind of walk you through what that journey looked like for me metaphorically, if I can, and then I'd love to kind of talk about four things that I've learned as I've tried to become a better small group leader that I think uh, are really foundational for discipleship. Uh, and I'd love, to, I'd love to tell this story through an allegory that, that we created called the Discipleship Rabbit. Okay? Two things I need you, need you to understand in this. Okay? First is this. It's an allegory, right? So what you're going to see on the screen didn't actually happen like, like uh, you're going to see on the screen. But hopefully you can, you can kind of kick back and enjoy uh, this illustration of, and this journey of what it actually means to, uh, to be an, an, effective, an effective small group leader. Okay? The second thing is this. Uh, I, I really would love to kind of show you this film and then talk a little bit about the film and break apart those four things. But more than that, I would love for this to be uh, a conversation. And so I think I'd be remiss if I stood up here and said, discipleship happens in conversation and then not actually lead a conversation. So we're going to watch a film for about 12 minutes, uh, and then I'll flip the lights back on, and we'll talk about uh, some of these key components of uh, the discipleship rabbit process. And forgive me, I might have to fiddle with the volume a little bit just to make sure we're good to go. various different uh, varieties and degrees of severity, but uh, each one of them is bad. And finally, uh, E for eternity. How long is eternity? We've talked about this. Eternity is for what? Eternity is forever, right? It's a long time. So hang on, i got to go see what that is. Um, just pray, uh, pray all your unspoken prayer requests. Just confess to one another. Read Galatians or something. I'll, I'll be right back. small group. <laughs> no, no. Oh, man. Here. This belongs to you. Worst small group leader? That's funny. Yeah, that's clever. Who are you? I'm the discipleship rabbit, and I'm here to help you. Because whatever you're doing up there is really just not very purpose-driven, or relevant, or lit. 
Listen, dude, I'm just here. I'm trying to low on some kids, okay? Don't say that. Don't ever say that. Why do people say that? Right. Well, listen, Mr. Discipleship Rob. What's your plan? You think you can help me with that? Yeah. You're doing everything wrong. And it's really just four things you need to know. Here, let me show you. Come on! How did you do that? I have your ball. Let's go. That's our only ball! So they have the entire internet in their pockets. What are you going to teach them that they can't just look up? What are you talking about? What am I talking about? Okay, think about it. If all you're doing is trying to get them to memorize certain facts, buddy, the robots win every time. What's happening? says don't have anything to do with foolish arguments, so, no. Okay, I appreciate the scripture, but I am not the Bible study armadillo. Okay, what does the next verse say? God. Okay, I'll be the Bible study armadillo. It says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome with anyone, but must be kind to everyone. Kindness. Kind, kind, kind. What's your point? My point is that there is a massive difference between arguing and debate. Okay, so debate is all about persuasion and respect. It's about trying to change someone's mind with grace and dignity, recognizing that 
we can show respect to each other while also knowing that God loves everybody. See, I believe that the church can... Oh, watch this. Tell me. 
would you have listened if they did? Based on a true story. Uh, so what, what, I, what I found, thinking back to that little sheet of paper that, uh, that my youth minister would give us every week and head off into the classroom to talk about small groups, was that I, I was viewing that uh, as a checklist. I was viewing that as this is a thing that we have to get through so that we can check it off and then go on to the next thing. And I honestly think that was came from... Uh, several years of, of ministry that, that really kind of centered on creating a thing, that creating a, a program when we literally would have a list and we would say we would do this, then we would do this, and then this would happen, and this would happen, and the only way you succeed in that is making sure that everything is checked off the list. Instead of recognizing that true small group, a true discipleship, person to person or in a, in a small group conversation, was really less about performance and more about presence. It really became about, you, you'll notice even Eric, 
uh, the fictional char character Eric uh, in, in the film, at the beginning of the film, is standing in front of a, a little whiteboard presenting, uh, and at the end of the film actually comes down, pulls up a seat, and sits down eyeball to eyeball, knee to knee, and actually has a moment and uh, in a, in a actually conversation with, uh, with his students. And of course, over the course of the journey, Eric learns four things that we're going to talk about for the remainder of our time together, uh, four components of what I think uh, are the elements or key ingre ingredients uh, in creating a culture of good conversation, of discipleship uh, transformation through small groups. Uh, and the first one is this, you'll see on the screen, is, is this idea that wisdom beats information uh, any day of the week. So part of the problem with the sheet of paper with five small group questions uh, is that it turns um, small group into less about what you think uh, and more about what you know. You, you think about the classic small group format, which is a large, large stage presentation, message, sermon, whether this happens on a Sunday morning and then small group happens throughout the course of the week, or whether it happens like in my context where it happened on a Wednesday night all compressed into an hour and a half, is that somebody would get up on stage and they would have a presentation. They would say, these are the facts, the things that I want you to know. Here's the information that I want you to retain. And then small group almost always serves then as a chance for you to go into a small group setting and really just regurgitate what was said from the stage. How many, uh, how many loaves, how many fish, uh, how many tribes in Israel? What does this verse say? Basically, were you paying attention in there? And then what I think is really funny then is that even our way that we measure the success of a small group in that setting is really kind of boiled down into two questions. Did you do it? Yes or no? And then how was it? Good? Like you have really no way of actually measuring that. Really, the only way we we're able to measure a small group or something like that is to be able to be able to gauge, did you get through those five questions? And did uh, an appropriate percentage of the kids in the small group actually share? And if they shared, was it on topic? Right? And sometimes we grade on a massive curve, depending on what the makeup of your group is, whether or not their comments are on topic or not. What I'm proposing in that, that wisdom uh, over information or, or presence over presentation is, is that we focus more on a communal experience and less on what kind of information we can transfer in a small group. And one of the ways I think we do that is we recognize, just like Eric did around the table, um, that you can do something as a small group leader that nothing else can do, and that is you can actually provide presence. So we, we lead these uh, conferences where we work with church groups around the country and actually come to our events. And so you show up at a CIY MOVE event, and you might be, if you bring your youth group, you might be one of 20 churches that are there uh, over the course of the week. And what's so fascinating, you know, you look at a group of churches, and you think, man, there's, there's all these different congregations, to some extent, a bunch of different structures, a bunch of different sizes, different cultures and communities, uh, different denominations uh, at times. And there seems to be so much diversity over the course of you know, the week from these 20 groups. But what can I tell you? Um, one of the most divided, divisive um, things that we've talked about with these churches that vary group to group over the last 10 years has actually not been how we've handled decision-making time. It's not been the style of worship. 
Uh, when we run into issues uh, in leading a, a diverse community of, of churches and youth leaders, the number one thing that we get pushed back on is not who's speaking on stage, um, but what we do with this little device. How we incorporate this thing into our programming. Because you really have two really separate camps. Okay? Uh, and and you, you think predestination is divisive. Uh, I, I, think, I think this is actually at times more practically divisive. Because uh, you have some groups over here who as a youth leader would say, we actually, when we get on the bus at the beginning of the week, every young person takes their phone and they put it into a, a little Ziploc bag and then we collect all those little Ziploc bags into a trash bag and we tie it up and then we throw it into a river, right? <laughs> we want our kids, they are connected all the time. Some, some uh, researchers say 16 to 18 hours a day connected in front, connected in front of the screen. We want, we want them to be totally disconnected from cell phones and from screens this week. We go, okay, cool. And you have another group over here um, who, uh, not, that, not that they are, um, oh, they have less, less principle. Um, I think they would look at this more, less as a distraction uh, and more as simply a part of our culture. They would look at this more as a, a, a language that as missionaries to another generation, we have to figure out how to speak. And so they would say, you know what, we want to use this little piece of device to actually to, to remind them that, hey, you go here to order coffee uh, and to find directions and to listen to all the music and recorded history. Uh, we want you to actually go to this for uh, faith as well. And so use this for everything else to connect with everybody. We think you can actually use this to connect with God. And so we at times, and just spoiler alert, we lend and lean more this way than that way, programmatically. And so we'll do things like, okay, everybody, uh, on stage, pull out your phones and do this fun interactive thing, which for folks who end up over here go, awesome, this is great, thank you. You're showing them that it can actually be a part of, part of their faith. But for this group over here, right, uh, at times I feel like I, I would be better off eating a bat on stage than asking a kid to pull out their cell phones when they have been told to leave them at home. Because you know how this is. Uh, the moment somebody on stage says to your students, pull out your phones, when you told them three days before to leave them at home, what do they do? All eyes at you, right? Like, oh, you're gonna, there's going to be a meeting about this, right? <laughs> and so we're, we're trying to walk that line, but, but here's ultimately what I believe. I believe um, that with this little thing right here, that there is no going back. And so a phrase that we've developed uh, in talking about this is, is recognizing um, that we are all now cyborg ministers. We're all cyborg uh, small group leaders. And I know that because right now, I, I literally, <laughs> I have I, counted just 12 screens uh, in the matter of me surveying the room. Uh, currently, I would imagine almost all of us, if we're not currently touching a piece of technology, a technology is really, really close to us. I'm wearing one, right? And so whether it's an iPhone uh, in your back pocket or clipped to your, your belt, no judgment, uh, or an, an, Apple, an Apple Watch, or, or a pacemaker, like we're all, we're all cyborgs at this point. Half man, half machine. And that's, that's for those of us who are uh, either old millennials, or Gen X's, or wise people, right? Like we're, we're all, we're all, 
like not digital natives uh, like the Generation Z students that we're ministering to right now. Uh, we're not immersed in it. I remember a summer where the internet came to my house. We didn't have summer in eighth grade, and then we had it in ninth grade, and I was oh, like, over the span of the a few months, the whole world opened up to us. But my eight-year-old was 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 currently was born uh, three years after the iPhone was invented. Uh, she had pictures of herself on the internet two hours after she was born, and so that, that's really literally the world we're living we're living in. So therefore, my belief when we work with small groups is we need to recognize that there are things that uh, this little piece of technology can do, but maybe even more importantly, there are things that this little piece of technology cannot do. Uh, and so we developed a visual uh, that, I, that I call just the cyborg youth minister, or the cyborg small group leader, where it really kind of highlights some of, this, uh, some of these concepts. Uh, and so the idea is to let technology do what technology can do, and then you do what only you can do uh, in, in how you disciple and how you lead young people. So we have here a, a classic Venn diagram, and really what we're doing is we're going to let the technology be strong where the technology can be strong. I believe that is in two components. One is experience. Uh, I, I just showed you a film, right? Um, I could not have done that without technology. We filmed that back in uh, October. It now exists here in May because of the technology we have at our fingertips. Now, I could have stood up and told you a story about a man who goes on a journey where the disciples of rabbits, and this happens, and this happens. And it might have been compelling, but it would have been limited. Uh, the video could actually take us to a place uh, that, that I couldn't do with just oral storytelling alone. So lean on that. If you're in a small group setting and there's a, there's a music video that you, you've noticed or um, a, a, a film that you've seen or a, an example from culture that you want to pull your phone out or put it on a, on a screen, it actually can spark conversation. Um, we, we really are in the business, I think, of creating experiences that spark conversation because uh, that is ultimately where discipleship happens. So lean on that. The second thing that uh, a technology can do is it can provide all the information in the world, literally. Um, now, th there are problems with that, right? Um, I don't know about you, but I felt it even kind of creep into my own life where I can't tell you the last time I carried a physical Bible to church, right? Um, and you, you might have convictions about that. I think that's totally great. I think that we need to pursue uh, our relationship with, uh, with the Scripture in a way that speaks to your soul. But that also means that because of the information we can provide literally at our fingertips, think about the way that version has not only changed uh, the way that we interact with Scripture, but quite honestly the way the, the world could potentially interact with Scripture. That is a very, very good thing and something to be celebrated. The second thing it does is, is it really alleviates that pain point where you work with a, a volunteer if you're trying to recruit them to be a small group leader. Uh, the number one pushback uh, other than I just don't like young people, uh, to not being a small group leader is, I just don't think I know enough. We can actually provide and, and alleviate some of that some of that tension with the resources that we have now. That's a really, really good thing. However, it's limited in scope. Because while information might change my mind, information can't transform my heart. And that's where you come in as a small group leader. Here's what I mean. Because what a phone cannot do is provide presence and wisdom. 
And I understand that with presence, people are connecting uh, like never before. And we are connected with people around the world in some really, really fun, fun, creative ways. But I can tell you that when I have a texting conversation with my wife, uh, and especially, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but occasionally my wife and I don't see eye to eye and might disagree on something. It's a much more productive disagreement if we have that disagreement face to face than it is over text messaging, right? Because if I text something and then she texts back, okay, I'm assuming that my marriage is over, right? <laughs> right? That is the most cryptic, uh, demoralizing response in human history. Okay. Or what do you want to do? And or what do you feel about that? And she goes, that's fine. That's second second version. But additionally, there are just obvious social cues. Right, and obvious <coughs> communication things that, we, that we've learned as human beings over uh, centuries that are left out uh, via text. Second thing is this. Um, social media, I don't, know, I don't know how you feel about social media. I think it has the same kind of thing. I think it can actually be really helpful and really cool and really fun. However, however um, though it's called social media, uh, it is not a good substitute for community uh, and, and socialization. I know that. Uh, because research shows us that around the time of 2008-2009, so right at the dawn of uh, when the, the internet really kind of began to be fully mobile and social media made its way on, onto the iPhone, that the, the number of, of young people, younger adolescents, who over the course of a given week felt left out, spiked. Because what social media ultimately is, is a curated version of someone else's life the best moments of someone else's life that you um, take in when you're bored or going to the bathroom, right? So therefore, your present reality cannot compete uh, with someone's literally filtered uh, version of their reality. That can cause us to be really isolated and feel really depressed. Uh, that, that's a concerning, that's a concerning thing. But what you can do that a cell phone can't do is look somebody in the eyes and give somebody a hug uh, and share a, a moment there together. And I think the challenge for us is not only to make sure we're fully present uh, when we have those types of experiences with people, but also to walk into situations in our own lives and be fully present uh, by keeping the phone in, in our pocket. This isn't the point of this, but I'll, I'll throw it in. Um, I began to be really convicted about, of this in, in two areas of my life. The first being that a few years ago, my, my oldest, daughter, oldest daughter, Alice, um, we, were, we were at home together, and I snapped a picture of her, uh, and she was probably five or six at this time, and she under, was beginning to kind of understand what social media was, and she knew that if I posted something, it could also it could get likes and those types of things, and uh, man, I, I, I kind of really began, began to really think through what of my own personal life and my kids I share online. And, and she asked me this question after I took a picture of her. She said, hey, can that be just for us? And I began to realize, oh my goodness. Our young people are, are not only living under the weight of our own like parental expectations, but maybe even more than that, they're living under the weight of my social circles in some sort of weird way. And so I've been, I've been really cautious with that. 
second time, uh, my wife and I were in uh, Venice for, for celebrating a, a key anniversary, and we watched a, uh, the, the streets are water there, right? And so I, we watched a, that's because it's sinking. Uh, so go see it while you can, because it's gonna be gone soon. And um, we watched this boat go down a canal, and it was full, like 50 people. And I kid you not, every single person on this boat was doing this. <laughs> Watching this ancient city through a screen. And you're, you're, the scientists will actually tell you that if you take a picture of something in the moment, it actually does something chemically in your brain where it, tell, it informs your brain that you don't, they don't, your brain doesn't have to remember that memory because it's saved, right? And so if you think back to some of you, think back to your Instagram feed, and you think back to some of those, um, those moments on that, on that feed, I think it would be really hard to think of that moment without actually, actually thinking of that picture instead. You can have to work your way around that picture to actually, actually remember that moment. And so I, I've been on a quest, personally, both in conversation and in how would I deal with the technology in my life to be more present. A phone cannot compete with you in that. The second thing is this, uh, that you can do that a phone can't do is wisdom. And a cell phone can tell a young person everything about them, this is from the, the film, except who they are. And so I can Google uh, how to decide where to go to college. And I can, find all, I can find articles for days and days and days. I can scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. But I, that's not going to help me make that decision. When my parents uh, went through a divorce at, at, when I was 14, uh, the same summer the internet uh, was invented, or, or came to my house at least, um, I needed friends to sit in a circle with. Uh, I, I did need a list of seven, seven ways to get through your parents' divorce. Right? Um, you can do that in a really, really profound way. Uh, I think that is something, uh, something to, be, to be celebrated. Right? Um, I have a few, if you, if you would like this, if you'd like to share this, I've got a few cards, by the way, that you, could, you can take home if your circles aren't as uh, perfectly drawn as, as those are. <laughs> uh, the, the second thing that I think uh, the Discipleship Rabbit teaches us about uh, how to be an effective small group leader is that it is okay uh, as a small group leader to disagree with grace. Speaking of, tech, speaking of technology, speaking of social media, um, our young people are running out of places they can turn to see that it's okay um, to disagree about a thing, but yet still love and respect one another. Because you don't, you don't get that from politics, right? You, you don't get that from social media. Uh, you don't get that from a lot of the, honestly, tribalistic um, places that are popping up in our culture. I think it is extremely healthy um, for you to sit in a small group situation and to ask a question and to actually get differenting, uh, different views around the circle and actually then try to persuade one another. And I think that's where culture really differs. Or we can differ from culture uh, because a lot of times if two people disagree, we, we ultimately say things like, well, that's your truth, this is my truth, and we're just going to, I don't want to be rude, I don't want to actually step on your toes. But what I want is, is people in my life who disagree with me and yet still like me, but also like me enough to try to change my mind. Uh, you, you, see that, you see that throughout Scripture. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul obviously uh, modeled that. 
in, in his life. Some of the more um, compelling relationships that I've had in my life have seen me believe a certain thing, and they try to actually change my mind. But doing that uh, in a way that actually promotes love, love first, uh, and then disagreement, uh, you know, wrapped in love, I think is something that's so countercultural, and could be really, really so, uh, so powerful for a young person to see that. So I'd encourage you to um, to not be afraid to ask those difficult questions. And press in on, on young people when you feel like they are giving you the answers that they think that you want to hear. And then, no, it's okay. It's okay if you disagree. It's okay if you disagree with me. Because you belong here first before we all believe the same thing. Uh, if you can model that in, in, a, in a small group setting, uh, I, think it could, I think it could ultimately change uh, not, a, not only a young person's mind, but potentially their, their trajectory in relationship with the church over the course of their life. Uh, the third thing is this, uh, listeners are leaders, or I'm sorry, leaders are listeners, pardon my, pardon my uh, uh, backwards reading there. Um, to be quite honest with you, this is, this is one, of, um, one of the more difficult, not only little uh, episodes that we produced here in the Discipleship Rabbit, but even one of the more personal ones that I'm trying to get my mind around still. I don't know if you can tell this or not by looking at me, but I'm a straight white male, okay? Uh, and obviously we have, um, we've had a good run, <laughs> but uh, we, we have been scrutinized rightfully so over the last uh, several years and months. Probably more than anything else because we have spent most of history not really recognizing that other people have other experiences than we do. And so therefore, before we walk in any kind of setting, before we can really um, speak, we need to be great listeners first. And I've, I've been on a bit of a personal journey to try to be a better listener, to try not to assume that everyone's experience mirrors mine exactly, because that's just not true. And so that, that is definitely... Um, Definitely the case in working with my own peers, uh, but even it's, it's heightened all the more when you consider you're sitting in a circle with young people who are going to school uh, in a very different situation and scenario that you went to school in. And as, as the world shrinks, I think that will become more and more important for the church to be an example of people um, who listen, who listen really well. <coughs> Think about when Jesus interacted with the marginalized people that he did. Um, there was always it was always them with a, um, a steadiness and a, and a voice of, of compassion. And I, I think we would we would uh, benefit not not only ourselves and our ministries but the faith at large um, to listen a whole lot more than than we speak. Uh, fourth and fourth and final thing. Ultimately, the desire, I think, if we can put those things in place, um, then we then, then get to walk into a, a small group setting, holding both the brain uh, and the heart. Those looked real, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, I went through three shirts to get that scene right. So um, we can hold both of those in our hands uh, and actually this, be trusted with them. So when, when a parent drops a young person off in your ministry or at your church, 
they, they want you to sign the waivers to get their body back home safely, right? You go on a rafting trip with 12 students, you should bring 12 students back, okay? They don't have to be the same, but bring 12, <laughs> bring 12 bodies and, and life jackets back. But no, they're, they're actually doing more than with, with them uh, than just making sure their body goes to church and then comes back uh, home. Because we're, we're, not, we're not brains on sticks. Right? We're, we're a lot more complex than that. And while there are risks uh, in, in putting young people in a church van and driving across the country or taking kids uh, to an amusement park, there are larger risks about what you do with that head, uh, with that brain, and with that heart um, that, that far surpasses any kind of physical uh, risk. That, that what you do when you hold those two things in your hands um, can really impact the development of a young person. I, I have given up. I have surrendered um, and stopped trying to be funny around young people. Because often, um, my humor slides towards sarcasm. And I don't know when I'm pointing a, an arrow or a loaded gun at a wound that, uh, that's been there for years. And so, my desire to be clever, or perceived as clever, um, does not trump the, um, the mental and spiritual well-being of a young person that I'm, I'm trying to make. Plus, I'm approaching my late 30s. Approaching. You're a baby. I'm still a baby to some, but that is Amen. all relative. That is all relative. So I'm recognizing that my ability to be to be cool or perceive as cool, I, I, the, I, there's not much sand in the hourglass left, and that's totally, totally fine. But we should take heart in that, uh, because there's an old youth ministry principle that a young person um, will be attracted and drawn to the oldest person in the room who pays attention to them. What a gift that could be. Um, when you've got a young, young, young generation of Generation Z students who are actually drawn to wisdom, um, that, that this idea that they could learn something uh, from those of us uh, who might not be the same size we were 10 years ago or might not have as much hair as we did, um, or just like, what's my, my hands, just there's hair on them now? Like, what, what is that? You know, and I, I, I trim my ears every two days. What is happening to me? But I think that's really actually setting me up uh, to grow older with a generation who's looking for older people to invest in them. And so I feel like these parents put these, this hand, or this, this, this mind and this heart uh, in my hands and then ask me to steward them well. And then by doing that, not only am I taking care of their, their mental and spiritual well-being, I think I'm actually... Uh, living out the gospel in its fullest form. Because uh, we recognize that um, in our relationship with God, uh, we have a relationship with him, uh, a God who knows absolutely everything about us, and yet loves us anyway. If we can model that in our small group settings, where not everybody has to agree, and we listen well, and we recognize that we can provide wisdom in ways that, uh, that technology and information can't, we are actually doing more than just getting through a lesson or getting through five points. We're actually modeling what a true gospel community looks like, and I think that's a really, really beautiful thing. And so one of the ways we like to depict this and, uh, and how we kind of gauge success in, in leading a small group is, is through this little pyramid that we call the Convos Pyramid. 
And I think this really does kind of hold the secrets for how we communicate what a true gospel community looks like. And so much like a hierarchy of needs, uh, what, we're, what we're working through is a system or a process that we take students through. Every student who comes into your youth ministry, you could, you could gauge them on this pyramid. And so real quickly, your fringe kids, kids who are there one or two times, um, who maybe you don't even know their last name, I think your number one goal when they sit down in a small group or when they sit uh, in any kind of lesson or Sunday school format is that they would feel by the end of the time that they are liked. There's actually some real power in being liked. So there, there was um, a, a research a study that was done uh, that discovered that adolescents, based on their perceived popularity, not their actual popularity, but their perceived popularity, which we all know, even from our own lives, can be very different, right? Uh, based on their perceived popularity, was an indicator of how likely they were to ask uh, a grown-up or an authority figure for advice. They knew they had social collateral that they could, they could wager, and so they were willing to put themselves out there. So if actually being liked, uh, I think, is extremely underrated. And I think, I think things like playing games and watching silly YouTube videos are not wasting time. They're certainly not filling time. They're building um, really uh, primitive bonds of connection that you shouldn't overlook. And after that, we move up. If a kid feels liked, next we move up to feeling safe. Because if, if, they're, if they're, they're liked, they'll come back. If they're safe, they'll open up. And I think one of the key moments in any kind of discipleship process is when, um, when a student voices something in a small group setting that you weren't expecting or that you might not agree with. What you do in that moment, you don't get back. And it might just, it might just inform them on how open they can be. Because we all do this, right? Think back to dating, right? Like you take baby steps towards making yourself vulnerable, right? That's why we said things like, I like you, like you, like you. You don't jump straight to love. That seems desperate, right? Like you just kind of work your way towards that. I think young people do the same thing with how they share and how they open up. And so we want to make them feel safe. And as you work your way up, don't get discouraged if a student only gets to the second step. Because I'm actually a big believer in if this is as far as they get, and they just live in this world, and they never truly, like, actually feel like they move up the pyramid. Let's say a young person comes to your youth ministry for four years, and that they graduate, and they're not going into ministry, and they're not, they're just kind of a, kind of a fringe kid. But if 10 years from now, when they, when they turn 28, they look back on their church experience, and they went, you know, I went to this youth group throughout high school, and now I'm trying to figure some things out. I didn't really understand all everything that was going on, but I think they liked me, and it seemed like a pretty safe place. Maybe I'll give it another shot. What a legacy. What a legacy to play the long play uh, with, with young people. But if they do get past this, then all of a sudden you can, you can say that they, they, feel, they feel seen, meaning that um, you recognize that their perspective and their experience matters and brings worth to a conversation. Going back to the big, uh, being a small group leader with big ears and recognizing that, uh, that I need to be a better listener uh, actually, actually comes to them, them feeling seen.
but then from there it goes to, to being heard, meaning that you can kind of empathize and, and feel in a way what they are feeling. So there's a, a, a relationship or a communication tip that if someone tells you a story about something that happens to them in their life, um, to never say, I know how you feel, right? Because you don't. But to try to hang some sort of emotion onto it. Man, you lost your job. I, I, I would imagine that you would feel just very disappointed. Or, or did you make you feel rejected? If you can actually land one of those emotions that resonates with them, uh, they will open up to you in ways that uh, you would have to, you'd have to be a trained, uh, a trained counselor to think that they would open up that deeply. But to be, able to, to be able to process and get through all the stuff to understand how they're feeling uh, is, is such a powerful, powerful thing. And then lastly, if we can do all of these things uh, to know that a young person can walk into your ministry being fully known and fully loved, uh, in living out, uh, living out the gospel. Um, that's important to me um, because a number of years ago I was going through a rough patch uh, in my own life and was really just frustrated, uh, not quite sure how much longer I wanted to do what I was doing and really was in a space where I just needed to be honest. If I got anybody in my life that I could be truly honest with. So I had a friend of mine say, okay, here's what you need to do. Find five people, just five people. Five people who know absolutely everything about you, good, bad, and like you anyway. I did that, and I, I, can, I can list them, Curtis, Alan, Drew, Taylor, Drew, I can list them by name. My wife, Tori, as well. And they know everything about me, and they still like me think, I think that's what the church is all about. I, th I think that's what this whole uh, call to community, call to discipleship can be about. I don't get that anywhere else uh, but from somebody I trust uh, and somebody that believes in me. You have the power to do that. Uh, and a video and a sermon is a really, really powerful things. But as we look back over the course of my life, there were those moments those moments may have been a pivot, but I'm more grateful for the people that have walked through that new direction, that new road with me over the course of weeks and months. That's what's transformed me, and I have a feeling that's what you're on the way to transforming uh, those people in your ministry as well. Uh, now, that was very, very one-sided, and I, I apologize, um, but I was a bit under, under the clock. So I'll, I'll give you two things as, as we walk out. Uh, I'd love to chat with you uh, uh, about this. We'd love to... Uh, to maybe maybe dive deep into a conversation, I'll sit up here and I'll stay I'll stay as long as uh, long as I need to. I fly out uh, Saturday afternoon. Uh, I would like to do some other things uh, between now and then, but I'll sit in this chair until then. If you bring me food, that would be cool. All right. Yeah. <laughs> the second thing is I got a couple of the cards that I've, I've thrown up on the screen. Uh, you my um, well, you've surpassed my expectations. I didn't really know uh, if a, a title like Disciples of Rabbit would would. Uh, who would who would draw? And so I didn't bring as many as I should. Uh, so thank you for uh, surpassing what my expectations were. I've got a few of these. If you snap the pictures of it, I can flip back and you can take a picture of it if you if you would so uh, you would so be inclined. Um, we can talk about that. Uh, and then and then lastly, if I can do anything for you, uh, both through CIY or personally, 
you may come over your yard or watch your kids or whatever, be happy to. Uh, if, I, if you're interested in uh, you know, a junior high event or a high school event or a mission trip or something like that, I can definitely connect you with the right people as well. That's my information. I'd love to connect down the road. Thank you for, for being here this afternoon. Um, have, a, have a great weekend uh, here. And if nothing else, just like relax and take in the ocean air and, and things like that. So blessings to you guys. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Sir.